And we welcome you to the Thursday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. And for today's morning show, I am so happy to welcome back to the program Nan Calvert, who for quite a long time has been arranging (laughs) on a monthly basis various morning show interviews related to environmental concerns. Nan, I don't have the foggiest notion how long you have been doing this. As we start this new year, do you have any notion of that? It's been about 18 years now, Greg. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Time flies when you're having fun. Yes, indeed. It's been a long time. (laughs) Right. And not that all these conversations have uh, been necessarily fun in the sense that often, most of the time, we're talking about fairly weighty and serious concerns, but... Most of the time, we're also talking about things that we can do about that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it isn't fun. That's true. But the point is we are given a voice on this monthly show to bring awareness to people. And I think Laura is going to talk about a survey that she conducted recently, and it's terrifically eye-opening. And I know that the environmental community is so grateful to be able to have this platform. It's rare and wonderful. Very good. Well, we are happy to uh, be part of all of this. And the, uh, we should tell our listeners that Laura that you mentioned is Laura Buska, who is with Root Pike Win. Uh, she is the program manager for the Respect Our Waters program and does a lot of other things for Root Pike Win. And uh, Nan has invited Laura here for a very special purpose and for a very specific topic. Nan, uh, tell us what has prompted this invitation for Laura to be back on the morning show? Did I invite you or did you just show up today? I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, it's very, it's so apropos because we've had some snow overnight and some slippery conditions. And hopefully, if it's true what they say, we're going to get a lot more snow. So we're going to talk about primarily de-icing chemicals, uh, or sometimes we call it salt, um, that is applied in order to keep people from falling down and spinning out on the roads, and what effect those chemicals have and have had for a very long time on fresh water within the uh, Root Pike watershed basin. So that is why we are here, and we're here in anticipation of Winter Salt Awareness Week. Laura, I know that's coming up soon. Uh, Just in a nutshell, we'll, of course, explore the specifics as we go. But just in a nutshell, when and what is Winter Salt Awareness Week? Thank you, Gregory and Nan, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So really, it's uh, a week of awareness building um, with an aim to educate residents on salt pollution, how it affects our health and freshwater ecosystems, what's being done around the country now, because this year it's going national, and how we um, can support local efforts. Very good. This falls rather nicely under something that you mentioned called Respect Our Waters, which is of course, a big part of Root Pike Wind. And maybe we should even step for a moment beyond that and just talk about Root Pike Wind for the sake especially of anybody who is maybe hearing about Root Pike Wind for the very first time, although anyone who's a longtime listener to the morning show, that's surely not the case. But we, we might have a few folks out there who are unacquainted with what you folks are all about. Sure. So Root Pike Win or Root Pike Watershed Initiative Network, um, we're an environmental nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we work to restore, protect, and sustain the watersheds, um, the different water bodies um, in the Root Pike Basin. 
Um, and we do that through restoration projects, big and small, and then we also do that through education and outreach through our Respect Our Waters program and through the Pollinator Patch program. Hmm. So tell us more about Respect Our Waters and exactly what that is about, and uh, and then maybe we'll explore how that funnels in nicely to uh, the topic for today. Sure. So Respect Our Waters, um, it, it's a program that uh, was originally created by the Department of Natural Resources, um, and now we are sister programs with Sweetwater um, in the Milwaukee Basin. Um, and so we work together to um, bring municipalities on board who have uh, – Um, Every year they have a permit that they have to satisfy, and so they work with us to help them satisfy that permit um, for education and outreach regarding stormwater issues. So what affects our fresh water and what we can do to keep it clean. And how long has that been around, specifically this uh, Respect Our Waters program? Oh, my. Man, (laughs) (laughs) probably like 15? Oh, at least. It's... Was I mean, I know you once were on mm-hmm. the staff of Root Pike Wynn. Was it around then? Yes. My predecessor was Allison um, Thielen, uh, and she worked tirelessly on behalf of Respect Our Waters. And so, yeah, it's been around a good long time. And Nan worked, uh, did the program management for Respect Our Waters and mm-hmm. trained me. And so <laughs> it's been longstanding. Right. So when it comes to this program and municipalities and some of the decisions and choices that they have to make. What kinds of things are we talking about that this program seeks to, in a sense, enact or guide? Yeah, so they have um, on the permit, there's about, it's called an MS4. Um, They have about eight topics that need to be addressed. So things like um, leaves and grass clippings and waterways and how that um, increases algae growth. Or um, winter salt is going to end up being a new topic, which is really exciting to be added. Um, We've got things like how stormwater picks up pollutants, so educating on that. So there's a variety of topics that we have to hit every year um, within all municipalities that we serve. So things through passive, like social media articles, um, things like this, and then active things like events. And then, and is this about the general public or is this about educating the, the leaders of municipalities? It's about educating everyone. So we work with the general public and then we also work with municipalities, Department of Public Works officials, elected officials, um, government officials. We really try to work with everybody. Nan, I'm curious about your days being part of that and what your strongest recollections are in terms of uh, areas where you made headway and other areas where it was maybe harder going. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, um, it's difficult to change ingrained behaviors. So when you speak to people about deposition of de-icing chemicals. Um, The general populace thinks that, you know, some is good, but way more is even better. Mm. But in point of fact, that isn't true. Uh, People um, generally pick up the bag of de-icing chemical and don't read the directions. All de-icing chemicals work at different temperatures. So if our temps plummet within the next few days, most of them aren't going to work. It's, it just doesn't work. So <clears throat> changing ingrained behaviors is very difficult when it comes to property management types of things, whether it's private property or public property. So, for example, when we walked in this morning, right outside the doorway was a huge, huge chunk of blue de-icing chemical. Um, And, of course, if you don't pick that up, where does it go? 
It mm. does not go to the magic land of away. It goes into our fresh water eventually. The, the sodium, the part of it goes into the water, the chloride and whatnot, stand, depending upon which de-icing chemical you're using, tends to stick around into the soil. I so, picked it up. Yes, I left it for <laughs> her to see because I knew we would have the same reaction. But so <clears throat> you really do need to be cognizant of how much you're using. Um, and do you, you know, you shouldn't go for perfection. You're not supposed to get rid of all of the ice. You need to make it very rough so that you don't slip on it. And um, an- another thing is that having worked with municipalities over the years, the, the plowing and salting people, the municipalities are trying really, really hard. They truly are to put down less de-icing chemical. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would find it interesting uh, new plow technologies, no plow technology, but it really is very fascinating. And people are doing wonderful things with it. And unfortunately, our, our municipalities get kind of a bad rap and they get lots of phone calls, you know, with people complaining, you didn't put enough down, you put too much mm. down, but they truly, truly are trying. It costs a lot of money to upgrade snow plows, lots of money. And we all know that municipalities are kind of strapped for cash. Uh, what's been great is being able to educate people about how native plants figure into the whole clean, fresh water dynamic. You know, they're indispensable. They are essential. Um, and, and I think that's one of the I think that's one of the greatest things that we can do. Connect people with the functionality of native plants. So so many things. Mm. So many. For those of you just joining us uh Today, we have Nan Calvert with us and uh, as her special guest, Laura Buska, who is with Root Pike Wynn. Uh, she oversees their Respect Our Waters program and is very much part of, uh, of a whole effort that will be uh, given special focus uh, in a couple of weeks, Winter Salt Awareness Week, which uh, uh, is, uh, Laura, you were saying, in a sense, going national. So this is something that's been happening in certain places, but about to go across the country. Tell us more about that move, and and is just the word spreading about the importance of this? It is. It's very exciting. Um, so really a lot of the credit started with um, Wisconsin SaltWise and Allison Madison. She has just been a force of, um, you know, a force for salt awareness. Um, and so we worked, it used to be Wisconsin Salt Awareness Week. So, um, but we started to get, uh, there she started to get more interest from different people in different states. Um, they're hearing about this. Um, they're watching the webinars. There's a lot of interest. So um, instead of keeping it to Wisconsin, it, it just makes a lot of sense to broaden um, the efforts and, and get a lot of people on board to promote and try to get more people in to listen to the different speakers on this topic. Very good. So let's maybe to start uh, at the at the beginning in terms of when it snows, when we have some ice and so on what municipalities typically do. What is the most typical response to the winter conditions that, for instance, we have today, that we'll have even more tomorrow, and and so on? What does the typical municipality do? And then we'll talk about what the problem is with that sort of normal way of doing things. It depends on your municipality. So um, sure. like Dan said, they're, they're 
the, especially the ones that we work with, are, are really trying to minimize their salt use. Um, you know, it costs a lot of money to put down more salt. So they're, you know, um, so I don't know the typical, I mean, it's going to vary by municipality what they're going to do, what kind of um, equipment they have. Um, Let's start then with the old way of doing things or the more typical way of doing things, the unenlightened way of, of doing things. I mean, typically what would happen? Put down salt. Right. Typical. Um, and just a lot of it. <laughs> it right. Well, uh, what some municipalities have found now is that so all all of the salting trucks are calibrated. Uh, and what municipalities um, have found now is is if they uh, calibrate more frequently, they can more accurately deposit whatever de-icing chemical they happen to be using. Even if your truck is brand new and this is its virgin voyage out onto the roadways, it's very important to check the calibration because you may be putting down far more than what you think you're putting down. And wow. really, the um, I, I believe it was Cudahy a number of years ago was kind of the, um, the, the flag bearer for that because that's exactly what they did. It didn't seem like they were putting down the amount that the truck said they were putting down, and it turns out it was far more. So they had to recalibrate this brand-new truck to... You know, and then, of course, salt cost the municipalities a lot of money. It's a big part of their budget. Um, and so if you can then reduce that dramatically, it's a, what we used to say at Root Pike Win, it's a win-win mm -hmm. situation. So mm -hmm. calibration has become key. Uh, road temperature sensors, you know, there are plow blades now that can articulate the road and that they can follow the, the micro and macro curvatures of the road to get a better uh, a better surface once plowed. I mean, there's just it, the list goes on. It's it's amazing. The brining techniques. The brining techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'll get it to that in in just a moment. Uh, when municipalities are laying down salt, what exactly are we talking about? I mean, what exactly is this material, and is it similar to what people have in a bag in their garage, or is it something different? And I mean, and what kind of salt is it? I mean, tell us more about this material that's being spread about uh, 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 more than it should be? It, it kind of depends, again, on the municipality, what they're, what they're purchasing, um, uh, what's going to be in, in, in that breakup. Um, all winter de-icers, like Nan mentioned before, they, they can have slightly different chemical makeups. Um, so knowing what people are putting down is, is important. Um, so is it Typically, something that's mostly salt, mm -hmm. but it has other things added to it. It can, yeah. Um, it's it's a sodium chloride base, um, and that's another thing that people don't understand. Well, you can, they'll say just use rock salt. That is rock salt. It's a sodium chloride base. There are so also uh, potassium chloride base, magnesium chloride base, but those are all very expensive, and they have their own detrimental effects on on waterways. Um, and so typically it's going to be a sodium chloride kind of an application, whether it's a brine or it's a solid. And what they found is that if they moisten the, the, um, the dry or the rock salt type thing first before applying, um, that also helps them decrease the amount that needs to, to go down. It sticks better it sticks to the better. road, doesn't bounce off mm -hmm. the road. Ah, so it kind of goes where it needs to go, so to, it needs to, go. To, 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 to do its thing. Mm -hmm. How complicated are sort of the chemical details about this? I mean, for instance, 
why does sodium chloride do this in the first place? I guess I have no, I don't know the foggiest idea about that, about why salt has the effect of melting ice. Um, because it changes the temperature at which water freezes. Ah. Um, and it actually, um, interestingly enough, in the summertime in uh, soil and gravel parking lots, after there's been no rain, they'll apply sodium chloride to the parking lot to control dust because it attracts moisture. Wow. Interestingly enough, yeah, which is also horrific. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we have to right. Talk about somersault awareness. So, week. Summer yeah. awareness week. Right. Yeah. So it when changes does it the, end? <laughs> they all change the temperature at which water freezes. Um, and so so therefore you don't get iced roadways or or as much or iced sidewalks and driveways. Interesting. Okay. So uh, so that's kind of the old way of doing things. Uh, dispensing salt and lots and lots of salt and and once upon a time maybe rather carelessly uh, in cavalier fashion uh, and and with of course very little awareness of the impact on the environment before we talk about kind of alternatives to the old way of doing things uh, Laura with Nan's help uh, maybe you could kind of outline uh, some of the really serious environmental costs that we are talking about. I mean, mm. what does this do to the environment and and how? I mean, what is it about these materials that, that cause uh, such damage? The main thing I think of right away is we, um, as humans, need fresh water to survive. And we are living by one of the largest and only bodies of fresh water in the world. 3% of the world's water is fresh, and we all need it to survive, and we are salting it. And we are seeing that trend from, you know, the EPA has a great graph that shows how salt has been accumulating in Lake Michigan for the last, uh, since 1980, the graph was from, and it's not going down. So it's just accumulating. um, And at some, you know, we want to make sure at some point we can continue to use that resource. And then, of course, you have wildlife that are, and fish and different, um, different animals that also utilize that as a resource and cannot survive in salt water. Interesting. So that's, that's maybe first and foremost what we're talking about here is, is a, a body of water like Lake Michigan and our rivers and streams and so on mm-hmm. becoming actually salty. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we just start measuring it in 1980 or has it worsened since 1980 for other reasons? It has worsened because of the amount of salt being deposited. In the beginning, we didn't think that it was a problem because the samples weren't taken at the depths to which the salt had sunk because salt water is heavier than sweet water or fresh water. But once sampling went deeper, you know, the light bulb went on. Uh Uh-oh, we have a bit of a problem here. Ah. Researchers are looking into how... Uh, fish are affected and other organisms that live at that level, whether it's fish or microscopic organisms or amphibians or or plants and that sort of thing to find out what are the short-term and long-term detrimental effects. And we know that it does affect fish reproductive systems and also um, fish health. So they're, they're smaller, they're not as healthy. And here in Wisconsin, we know that fishing is a major tourist attraction as well as a pastime for people. And so there are a lot of things already impacting 
those populations in our rivers, lakes, and streams, like climate change and other things, you know, and now we have this to deal with. And how will that uh, impact the sports fishing industry during the long haul? So, you know, um, research is still, I would say, new in terms of the effect of chloride contamination in our waterways, but people are working on it. Unfortunately, you can't get it out of the waterways. It's you know, there just isn't the technology right now to do that. And even if there were, could municipalities actually afford that? Could states afford that? Or even from a regional standpoint, could they afford it? And the answer at the moment is no, it's just not available. Wow. So if you can figure that out, you will be a gazillionaire. <laughs> right. If you could come up with some technological breakthrough that would make uh, removal of salt from right. from from Throwing water. that out there for everybody. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Start working in your garage. The other one is um, uh, so- water softeners. Yes. Oh, that is a very large. Um, that, that's a big reason for the accumulation of salt that is going into freshwater systems. Tell us more. Um, well, all water softeners end up having to recycle that water, and that water is now salty because that's what they're using to soften that water, and it goes right out into the into the system. When the water softener discharges directly into your into your yard or into mm-hmm. your um, for example, if you live on a mound system and septic system, it's heavily contaminated with sodium chloride because that's what we use to soften water. So what can you do? Well, there are newer water softeners on the market that are much more efficient in terms of their water softening agent usage. Um, You can also have your water softener evaluated and tuned up in a sense, Um, recalibrated, I suppose you could call it, so that it doesn't discharge quite so much. You know, hard water is hard to live with. I mean, it accumulates in your in your plumbing and turns everything rusty brown and blah. Um, so we do have to do something about it. And hopefully the technology will be there on the forefront soon where we don't have to use salt in water softeners. Perhaps something else can be done instead. And I know that people are working on that as well. And don't ask me what it is because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if you can answer why we use salt in that process of softening water. And I guess now that you're talking about it, oh, yeah, I guess once upon a time maybe I vaguely knew that, but I certainly don't understand why. What does salt have to do with softening water? I'm sorry, Greg. It binds with the chemicals that make water typically hard, the minerals that make it hard. And so it binds with those, and then it's discharged. Got it. Pulls them out. And then it's gone, and you're left with water that doesn't have all of that stuff in it. Exactly. And then sometimes people also add iron filters to further remove uh, minerals from their water. See, this is where we need Allison Madison, the chemist. <laughs> she could just wax poetic about how this sort of thing works. But yes, in, in a nutshell, the Reader's Digest version is that it binds with those things, those minerals that cause us to have, quote, unquote, hard water. Right. And I think one of the main answers people think is just build a treatment center to remove that salt before it goes into the freshwater systems. There is no way to do that right now. And if it, well, no feasible way to do that right now. Hmm. No. So, no cost-efficient way or no, affordable way. So even if that water went into our wastewater and our wastewater went to the wastewater treatment center, which is not stormwater, those are different. Stormwater is not treated. Um, but if it went into the wastewater system and it was treated, it still would not remove the chlorides. Mm. So it's still an issue no matter where it's going. Right. It's still in the water. Correct. And so on. That's mm-hmm. really underscores the, the, the seriousness of this. And Laura, even though we're officially talking about Winter Salt Awareness Week, 
what you're just talking about now uh, underscores the fact that we need to be thinking about our use of this kind of salt all year round because, of course, we have softened water all year round, and so we are causing this damage as well all year round. That's right. Yeah. For those of you just joining us, we are speaking with uh, not only Nan Calvert, but with La- uh, Laura Buska from Root Pike Wynn. Uh, she is the uh, director of their uh, Respect Our Waters program, and uh, she is leading the way with the upcoming Winter Salt Awareness Week, which this year is not just here in the state of Wisconsin, but throughout the country. Uh, and it is a moment when uh, we can talk about uh, the detrimental effect of salt on the environment around us and talk about uh, ways in which that usage of salt can be greatly curtailed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Laura, maybe one thing that uh, is important for us to talk about also is kind of the effort in terms of municipalities and what they do, which we've already been talking about, but also just regular people. And I assume your efforts are kind of equally weighted between the two? I mean, is this problem being caused more by our municipalities or more by just private citizens, or is that really hard to calculate? You know, I think it really comes down to we all need, you know, we all need to be safe when we're driving on the road and when we're walking down the sidewalk. And it really, I'm sure most of the time that salt's going down, it's because People want people to be safe. They're not thinking about the further implications of that. Um, but Department of Public Works officials have been taking classes um, with uh, to learn how to calibrate their machinery, how to like what the actual consequences are of salt. So you get the why and the how, um, and they get hands-on um, demonstrations and things like that. We're going to be doing that again this year for them. Um, and then with the uh, individuals, it's it's like Nan said, it's not about perfection, it's about traction. So things like bird seed, um, shoveling often and early. So it does. If you don't have that compaction between snow and concrete, you won't have ice. So if you can get that um, off of your walkways right away, you won't have to deal with the problem in the first place. Things like, you know, if if you've got areas, um, this is good for anybody. If you've got areas that are, you know, two doorways, maybe only one doorway needs to be shoveled and salted, not two. You mm. know. You close one down, don't use it for the winter type of a thing. Um, uh, three inches between crystals. You really don't need a lot of salt. Um, it's it's not going – putting more salt down is not going to do um, – get rid of more salt you know, better or, or get rid of more, more salt faster. It's just going to spread further. So you might get spread along your, your gardens or your grass lines, and it's going to harm that vegetation. So um, using the right amount, reading those – uh, ingredient labels, like Nan said, under 15 degrees sodium chloride doesn't work. So if it's you know you're going out at you know 10 degrees and you're spreading that salt and it's not going to warm up for weeks, it's not really doing anything for you. Right. So for instance, this really bitter cold spell that we are about to experience here in southeastern Wisconsin, mm-hmm. that's a period of time when it makes no sense to lay down salt. Absolutely. And when you're doing it, you're just you're not getting any benefit whatsoever. You're polluting. T- yes, yeah, that's <laughs> all it's good for is just damaging the uh, environment. Mm-hmm. What are some other alternatives that just regular people can think about or or different ways for them to kind of reframe this as they're thinking about um, this? That salt is not really the only answer to this issue, you know, to the issue of, of safety, um, especially in driveways and, and walkways. You know, we've got, there's great things that you can put on your shoes. Um, there's a brand called Yak Tracks and those help um, 
give you support so that you're not slipping and sliding around outside. Those will save you. Mm-hmm. Any There are so many. It used to be uh, Yak Tracks was kind of the only one out there, but now there are all different kinds of ice cleats mm-hmm. uh, that mm. you can buy for boots, for fancy shoes, for all kinds of shoes, and they will save you from falling down. They're absolutely wonderful. Just keep them right by the door or leave them on your winter boots and off you go. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me more about how they're even put together or how they work. Well, they're they're on a thick sort of rubber cord, if you will, and um, some of them actually have actually have little pointy cleats on them, but others are springs, sort of these uh, coils, coils, metal coils, and it really digs into slippery surfaces uh, when you walk on them. And so you, you just don't slide. You just don't fall down. I mean, if you tried really hard, I suppose you could, but you just really don't, you don't fall down in them. Um, and those, those are wonderful to get. Even, uh, you know, one thing I want to emphasize that Laura said earlier is, if at all possible, shovel frequently mm-hmm. and shovel early on. Don't let it get compacted on your driveway and your sidewalk because the more it's compacted and walked on, the more and more ice forms from the bottom up. So if you can get rid of that, you're you're really in good stead. Right. In other <laughs> words, uh, like preventative medical care. Yes. It's like being preventative or proactive in terms of doing whatever you can to prevent ice from forming in the first place. Right. And again, it's all about increasing traction. Sawdust works wonderfully mm. well. If you have access to sawdust, if you have access to some sand, Bird seed is always good. There are all different other kinds of things that are not sodium chloride based that you can use to increase traction. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it, as as you're saying that, it reminds me that I I would swear that I've driven behind trucks that are spreading sand on the highways and in, mm-hmm. instead of salt, or actually, I mean, it looks like sand mm-hmm. anyway. Maybe I'm mistaken, but is that something that some municipalities do? Yes, and I don't know which ones, but sand is pretty effective. Interesting. Why, it's, and it seems like it would be cheaper. It, I, I'm surprised that that wouldn't be a more readily chosen uh, option. Of course, where do you, you know, harvest the sand? You know, there's always, uh, there's always an equal and opposite reaction, right? But yes, I mean, sand is a, is a good option. Laura, I wanted you to reiterate something you said earlier that I think could have slipped past people, and that is the whole matter of sort of thinking about where you do this and where it most needs to happen, mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to your own property. Say, say that again. So, yeah. So, I mean, in the winter, I, I, we don't go on our back porch very often. We've got maybe one area that we'll go. So that's the only area that is shoveled. Um, we, don't, I, we don't salt it. But, you know, if we were salting, then maybe we wouldn't go out the back door. Maybe we only go out the front door. Um, or for, you know, um, for places like Gateway, you know, instead of having two entrances, maybe they close one down and say, you know, use the other side. Um, mm. Just as a way to give the the maintenance people the ability to really focus on the most important places and doing those right. Um, and so that it kind of removes some liability too. You've, you know, you've put this as a, this is closed. People shouldn't be walking on it area. Um, so they really can focus their efforts appropriately in the right places. Right. You know, it's really interesting how effective even a move like that would be that i mean if i'm if i'm thinking about the math correctly mm-hmm. that would in effect cut in half it could i mean in front of this given building mm-hmm. if we 
salt this one entrance and don't salt this other one at all. Right. I mean, right there, you've made a, a significant inroad in terms of the impact that you are having. Yeah, yeah. It's such a simple. It seems like such a simple option. The other, the other thing I would say about um, is is educating yourself, which is exactly what Winter Salt Awareness Week is about. It's you know every day from Monday through Friday of the twenty second to the twenty sixth. It's lunchtime, thirty minute webinars, so you can listen in on your lunch break and learn from all these different experts from a variety of backgrounds um, about all different things that affect. Um, our fresh water based on salt. And so we've got some really great people um, and some really great topics this year. Interesting. Can you highlight at least one or two? Sure. Um, So we've got... um well, really quickly, Monday we've got Hillary Dugan from Madison, UW-Madison. She's going to do um, salt pollution trends in freshwater lakes and rivers. Tuesday we have so- uh, Sawyer Bailey from the Adirondack Action, and she's going to touch on the environmental justice issues surrounding salt. Um, and Bill Hintz on Wednesday from University of Toledo, he's going to share ecological consequences of salt and freshwater resources, so things like the, the fish survival rate and the plant life. Um, and Thursday, Bill Quakenbush from the Ho-Chunk Nation, he's going to share how roads Salt has affected areas of tribal interest. Mm. Um, Jeremy Wesso from the Menominee Nation is going to profile financial and technical challenges of reducing salt. Um, he's actually um, part of the Menominee County Highway. He's Menominee County Highway Commissioner, so he'll have some really, um, I think, really interesting things to share. Um, and then Friday, Laura Fay from the Western Transportation Institute. She's also from Montana State University. She's going to share the print, the operating practices that have been proven to reduce salt use. We were talking about what can DPWs do. She's going to share some of those best practices. Interesting. Very good. So we've talked quite a lot about uh, what regular people can do to uh, cut down on uh, the damage that they are doing on on their own property, making maybe wiser choices in terms of the sort of products they purchase, mm-hmm. and using alternative materials altogether, mm-hmm. uh, such as salt or sawdust, and uh, and uh, applying, uh, what what did you call them again, uh, Nan, uh, yeah. to your sh- shoes and cleats. boots? Yes, they're ice cleats. Right. So as you're uh, out and about, uh, you have a lot less likelihood of, of falling in if you're walking on the most treacherous of ice. Um, let's circle back to the municipalities where I know uh, you, you both are, are well aware of some of the interesting changes that have been made. Nan, you mentioned something earlier about uh, the the big snow plows and changes that have been made, I think you said, in terms of their blades Mm -hmm. that have made uh, a difference for the better. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. So we all know when we're driving around that sometimes roads aren't completely flat and level. Um, (laughs) And so that makes it difficult for a very rigid metal blade on the front of a plow to manage those sections. You know, you you get some of it, but you don't get all of it just because of the topography of the road. But blades have been designed now that can follow the topography, the curvature of that road. So it really hugs the road surface so that you can get much better clearance with one pass than, you know, multiple passes, doesn't rip up the roads as much, um, and therefore you can use fewer de-icing chemicals when you have a plow that can do that. When we were talking about where you salt, <clears throat> so municipalities are paying much more attention to where the salt is actually deposited out of the back of the truck. So 
a narrower lane of deposition, keeping it really where the cars are driving, mm. is far more effective than mm-hmm. ice or uh, salt crystals being flung out into the roadsides and, and ditches. So, and of course, when you really pay attention, <laughs> that's often what's happening. It's this it is. spinning thing, and and it it does indeed get flung. That's mm-hmm. the the best verb to describe that. And what you're saying is that ends up being flung to the very edges of the road and probably even off the roadway itself mm-hmm. where it isn't needed at all and it isn't wanted at right. all. Right, exactly. And then eventually that ends up in our fresh water, the nearest body of fresh water. So it, it seems like these are small things that DPWs are doing, but they're not. They're very big things. They're very impactful things. Uh, I know Laura's going to talk a little bit about brining instead of depositing the uh, de-icing chunks that you see. Uh, that's a very effective way of controlling icy roads, snowy parking lots, and that sort of thing. So they they really are working very hard on it to keep people safe, but also to try and be less negatively impactful on our fresh water. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I would very much like to hear more about this process of brining. And of course, we've heard that term in other contexts. And so maybe that's one thing you can maybe clarify for us is whether this kind of brining is similar to other kinds of brining that we know about. I think the only other brining I could think of is isn't this some sort of like like cooking thing you would right. do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, for exactly. different reasons. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, this one, this type of brining, um, and, and you can purchase um, purchase brine, or a lot of municipalities are making their own brine. Um, but it's really like like Nan mentioned before, it's kind of like a watered down salt, watered down uh, sodium chloride mixture. But because it's watered down, you're, it's not so concentrated. So, um, And because it's wet, it sticks. So it's not doing that bouncing. Um, mm. It's it's interesting. Um, somebody had told me recently, they're like, I watched my plow plow the road and as it's salting, then turn around and plow the road. And it was like, well, you just plowed off all that salt that went down, but which was kind of interesting to, oh. to hear that. Um, so it was something like, like um, Nan was saying with the with the curvature of the road, and if you mix that blade with some brine, you're talking, you're getting all of that, you're removing that compaction, you're putting down something that's going to stick. I think that's really that's really a neat combination. Interesting. And you'll know that your road has been brined because there will be these narrow lines. Love the lines. Love the lines. <laughs> there will be narrow lines where it looks like something has been sprayed onto the road, and that's the brine solution. Wow. I think some, too, are using, like, the remnants of cheese, cheese-making processes. People are, you people got are trying so many things. So pickle juice, brine, mm-hmm. beet juice, all different kinds of things. Yes, all of those do have an impact on the environment. How big of the impact is it? Is chloride being deposited? Uh, you know, those are the things, those are the questions that you, that you have to ask yourself. So, Right. So this is, a, this is one way to deposit the salt, but deposit it in a way that is more effective mm-hmm. and which might have at least a little bit of effect of mitigating the impact on the environment. Less uh, going down is the big, big portion of that. Right. Staying where it needs to be. Right. Staying where it needs to be. And then right from the start, we're talking about a lesser amount of salt. Correct. Yep. Because there's beet juice in it or, or whatever. Have you ever s- seen that yourself? I mean, I'm curious what it looks like and what its consistency is. 
It ch- I mean, depending on when somebody makes it, um, it can be different. It just depends on uh, the, the makeup and what's being used. And uh, Yeah, I was just curious if it's more of a liquid or a goop. or uh... <laughs> <laughs> It's liquidy. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So it sounds, Laura, like in terms of, uh, of our local municipalities, by and large, there's been a fairly high receptiveness mm-hmm. to this concern. Uh, how would you gauge that? And uh, would you be willing to give like a gold star to a municipality that has done, <laughs> done exceptionally well? Or is that dangerous? I, <laughs> I we work with twenty, and, and it was really beautifully um, beautiful that not last year, but the year before, we brought in um, some consultants that teach uh, Department of Public Works officials, the people who are on the front lines doing that work, how to calibrate, how to put things down, the the reasons why, um, and it's a whole day a workshop, and every municipality joined, which was just. wonderful to see um, multiple people from each municipality coming. We're going to do that again this year, offer that to them. Um, We had a calibration open house last year, um, and I can definitely throw out there that Wind Point um, came out and was there. um, So that was really beautiful um, that they were able to be a part of that. And we did a calibration on a truck, which was pretty funny because they would have put down, I think it was like a 100 more like tons of lane miles. It was it was it was astronomical what they would have put down if they didn't calibrate that truck. And it's about wow. eighty dollars a ton for salt. So wow. that's a lot of money. It's a, a lot it's of taxpayer of money. money mm-hmm. You know. Hmm. Um, I guess that's part of what's interesting in this story is that we are talking about something where even if at your heart for some awful reason you're not concerned about the environment, there are other reasons to be concerned about mm-hmm. this uh, this presence of salt in the natural world. I mean, even if you don't care about Bambi and his friends, you uh, you know probably care about the bottom line of your own municipality and and things like uh, if you like to go fishing or you or like to go... Or drink water. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which most of us do. So yeah. yeah. So I mean, there are... You, you don't have to be an environmentalist at heart Correct. to be on board. And I suppose that's one way in which that probably helps explain why you are experiencing the success that you are in terms of dealing with our municipalities. You can deal with them on, a, on several different levels. Mm-hmm. I'd like to give a shout out to, the, to Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, because they really were and are the gold standard in terms of bringing departments of public works up to speed. And it really all started with Connie Fortin from Fortin Consulting. She has since retired, but uh, they had an incredible amount of interest and buy-in from the Minnesota DPWs uh, and have a certification program. Uh, They try and get in as many independent contractors, landscaping contractors that do snow removal and salting, which is, uh, I think, a goal for, I I wish all of our independent contractors had a goal uh, to Mm. really be up to speed with how to do this and how to do it properly. Uh, that's that's a sort of a cohort of people we have yet to to get involved. But anyway, they um, if you look into it, it, it's just really fascinating what hmm. Minnesota has done. It's incredible. Yay, Minnesota. Well, and the, we are following suit. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, if anyone was going to lead the charge on this, the land of 10,000 lakes, probably it <laughs> makes sense that they would Absolutely. have a heightened uh, concern of this. Mm-hmm. Laura, is there anything else you want to share with us before our time is out? 
Um, well, c- c- really quickly, um, I also wanted to give out a shout out to Oak, uh, Oak Creek because they also attended that calibration event. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure that they both got that great shout out for this year. Um, and then please definitely join Winter Salt Awareness Week. It's going to be um, from the 22nd to the 26th, 30 minutes, 1230 to 1 on the Wisconsin SaltWise YouTube channel. Free to join us. Um, and then the last little piece was that we're going to be doing a virtual event called um, Gardening for Wildlife and Water Quality. And that's going to be on Monday, February 5th from 630 to 7.30. That's a collaboration between Route Pike Wynn, the Sierra Club Southeast Gateway Group, and the Wild Ones Root River Chapter. So we're going to chat a little bit, real 30-minute presentation, get down and dirty about gardening practices that harm the environment, how to combat them with best management practices, including native plants, like Nan mentioned, um, discover how to use those in your landscape to benefit wildlife, and um, and then two attendees are going to win a $50 gift card to the Wild Ones Root River Chapter plant sale. So that'd ah. be really cool. Um, and that's on our website, www.rootpikewin.org, um, on our calendar. Fantastic. And that's coming up, you said, on February 5th? You, yep, that is right. Great. Thank you. Uh, Nan, before we get to your other announcements, is there anything else you want to add on the important topic of salt in the environment? I just want to urge everyone who's listening if you're still using salt, number one, read the directions on the back of the bag, particularly with the suggested deep freeze that's coming. Uh, they don't work after a certain temperature. And number two, please focus on putting less down. The goal isn't perfection. The goal is increased traction. Think about other things that you can use. It's really important that we lessen the amount of chloride deposition in our waterways. There's lots of it in there now. We can't do anything about it other than be aware of uh, how much less we can be using. Very good. Well, I hope this program has uh, made a difference in the, in the minds of people uh, listening. Um, Laura Buscup from Root Pike Wynn, I really uh, am glad that you could join us once again uh, to address this really important topic as we approach Winter Salt Awareness <laughs> Week uh, starting on January 22nd. Thank you so much, and thank you for your good work on this and other concerns. Thank you for having me. Good times. Great to have you here. Nan Calvert, I know you have a couple of announcements as well. I do. One last thing. If you put down too much, and this goes for retail businesses as well, go out there and sweep it up. Mm. Yes. Sweep it up, put it back in the bucket. Save your money. Save your money, save your salt, save, uh, save our waters. Water. Yeah, ah. just sweep it up. Great, great idea. Okay, two really exciting things. It's January, and what do a lot of us start thinking about in January? Gardening. Yes, it's gardening. It's planting <laughs> things, especially things to eat. So the Racine Dominican Eco Justice Center is holding um, a three-session workshop on designing and planning the organic kitchen garden. It starts on Saturday, January 13th, and also, repeat, it's the second session is January 20th. Third session is January 27th. There's still time to sign up. It's a morning session, 9 a.m. to noon, uh, and you're going to learn so many things. Goals for your space. What do you select? Uh, creating a planting list, selecting seeds, soil management, all kinds of things. This sounds like a really wonderful thing to do. Just go to the website and you can sign up and you're going to have a great time at the Eco Justice Center and then be able to grow some food for yourself. Hmm. River Bend Nature Center is having a chilly winter evening and candlelight trails on January 26th from 5 until 8 p.m. Chili is C-H-I-L-I, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Candlelight will be your guide through the winter evening forest. You can 
conclude your hike with a complimentary hot chocolate by a cozy fire. The hike and the hot chocolate are free, but donations are welcomed and very much appreciated. There will be beer from Black Husky Brewing on hand as well as wine for purchase. However, you can upgrade a little bit by choosing to begin or end your candlelight hike with a delicious hearty chili served from the campfire kettle from 5 until 8 p.m. There are both vegetarian and omnivorous offerings for the chili. The chili dinner, um, the, the fee for the chili dinner includes soft drinks, s'mores, beer, and wine and cider will be available for purchase. You have to register for the dinner. So go to uh, Riverbend's website, just point and click children and I was going to say children and adults over 10, but of course it's (laughs) adults and children over 10 are $18 a piece. Children four to 10 are $10, three and under are free. Sounds like a really wonderful evening. Excellent. And And go outside and play in the snow if we get some snow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're getting some snow, I promise. Very good. Nan Calvert, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for this and all the other interesting programs you've put together. My pleasure. Thank you.